it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Toddcast Podcast. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and at toddhancock.ca. Should be up and running now. Yeah, we're up and going, man. Right on. Thank you, AC, for taking some time here to join the Toddcast in Vancouver, Canada. Okay. So standing at 6'10", 240. Now that was your days playing for the NBA. Do you walk around that that, that weight today? Uh, um, no, I'm 6'11". Um, I actually grew in college. That was my weight leaving college or somewhere around there or Okay. Something like that. So I'm I'm six eleven, uh probably three fifty, three sixty now. So no kidding. Yeah. Wow, dude. What are your food bills like? Oh, um, I tried to eat a lot. It was it was more when I retired and I didn't um I just wanted to eat everything and and partake in everything, things that I did not when I was <laughs> eat when I was playing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody so, kind of wants to eat whatever they want to eat, right? You know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what would you say is your first uh, basketball memory? Um, a few. Um, third grade, you had to do a term, well, a paper of what you wanted to be, and I had either my dad had told me or I read in the newspaper Michael Jackson. Or not Michael Jackson, Michael Magic Johnson um, had signed a $25 million, 25-year lifetime contract with the Lakers. That's like the first major deal signed. Jerry Buss signed Magic. And I was like, wow, 25 years, $25 million. Like, wow. Uh, so I would say that. I would say watching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, my favorite player, throwing the sky hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, watching, like, Dr. J go underneath the hoop on Kareem to do that move. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a series, but I was a basketball follower from day one, so it wasn't like – like, my dad would watch it. He told me stories about Will Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson – Pistol Pete and Maravich and, you know, the great Celtic days, Bill Russell and and Tiny Archibald. And so, like, I was a historian of the game way before. And then I had a best friend in grade school, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, who collected cards. Mm. And back then, you know, they weren't popular. They would throw all these cards in a pack. You would have football, basketball, hockey, 
And he hated basketball, so he gave me all his basketball cards. So I would collect all the basketball cards. So I that was my thing. So I would l- read and study them and ask my dad. So, so I, I knew about the game at a very young age, you know. And yeah. I it wasn't yeah. like um, it was just one day I picked up the ball. Like I was, I had a kind of a plan and a you know a synergy to it where. It was my sport. That's all I played, really. I played a little bit of flag football mm. in sixth grade, fifth and sixth grade. Uh, I played baseball early, but I was scared of the ball, so I didn't want to play baseball. So it was basketball for me. It was like that was my thing. And how old were you when you started hooping? Third grade. Third grade, okay. And so, like, how long did it take for you to realize, like, man, maybe I could go all the way here? Um, It wasn't – uh. Like I tell people, it was a, uh, it went, it was ebbs and flows. It was ups and downs, right? So like third grade, I was probably the second best player, best player on my team. Fourth grade, best player. Fifth and sixth grade, we had moved, and I was another good player on the team, really good athlete. So I was probably second best player. Seventh grade, I was one of the best players in the city. Eighth grade, I was not. So it was all also based on hitting puberty. And, you know, me, I was always a tall, skinny kid. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, you know, I couldn't run and jump like some of the best studs, sixth and seventh and eighth graders, you know what I mean? Like those guys could run and jump. And then obviously they hit puberty too early. So by ninth, 10th grade, they were done. You know, they were done. Um, so like in eighth grade, I played on a really good AAU team. We went to Las Vegas. I was a ninth man. But as I started to get better in the summer, I I worked harder than them. They were like better. They were they were they were better athletes. Um, and so then, like like ninth grade, I didn't play varsity or sophomore. Like I think I played one or two games of sophomore in ninth grade. Sophomore, I didn't play varsity till the end of my sophomore year. Hmm. So it was. Just, it was ebbs and flows. Like even when I went to college, I registered in my first year, so I was like this stud player, you know. So it was just ebbs and flows where it went, you know, a couple years here, a couple years here, a couple years here, a couple years here, a couple, you know, it just kept, mm-hmm. you know, rising. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. interesting, and, totally and different than a lot of people. Yeah, like and we know, of course you know, from what we see on TV and stuff, what it's like to play for the NBA here in North America. But you, you so you played, what was it, four seasons, I think I read? Yeah, so four years, two with Boston Celtics, a uh, year and a half with Toronto. And Toronto, half year that's with right, Toronto. yeah. And then you played a bunch mm-hmm. of seasons over in, in Europe. Like, what was the difference of, yeah. of playing over there uh, compared to here in, in North America in the NBA? Um, tons, because of um, the level. Like, I played 12 years, eight countries. So, like, you know, m- m- now most of the Eastern Bloc countries were the, are the same. Uh, um, like, you know, Poland, Russia, like that style of play, Serbia, Montenegro, like that style of play is pretty much the same. You know, Western style of play in France and, and Germany and, tur- you know, Turkey to a point a little bit. Excuse me, was different. You know, Australia is different than China. You know, so it's like, you know, tons of, tons of differences, you know, 
of um, of the play. So each country was different. But um, hmm. I had more success in the Eastern Bloc countries because I and I, I contribute to a couple of things. One, I had a high basketball IQ. I always had a high basketball IQ. When I play in those countries, you play with a lot of former Yugo play, you know, Croatian, Serbian, you know, Montenegro, Bosnia, Slovenia. So they have a high basketball IQ. Mm -hmm. And then two, I played my rookie year with Dino Raja, or two years with Dino Raja. And so Dino was, you know, probably the premier between him and Petrovic and Tony Kukoc and Vladi. Those are probably the four premier European players at the time. And I played for his coach in France. Uh, and Dino gave me a good recommendation. Actually, the first day of practice, they called each other on the cell phone, and Dino like gave me a recommendation. So then about every year, I played with a guy who Dino knew or played with. So it was always like, yeah, that guy's a good guy. That guy works hard. That guy shares the ball. That guy's not going to dog it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So, like, I, that was, you know, as I look back, that, that was a great, you know, point where, you know, Dino really set me up for success in some of those countries. Yeah. And, and, and when you do look back and like think about the draft and being drafted in 93, it was the same year, uh, went 19th, which is impressive, top 20. Uh, same year as Chris Weber, same year as Penny Hardaway. Mm -hmm. Like what still stands out from that draft day for you? Well, one, I slipped a little bit. I was projected to go lottery. And that was about that year and a year before is the year where the NBA was really starting to go young. Like it wasn't the four or five year player anymore. It was the, you know, the first or second year player where um, we're going to draft early because they may have a high ceiling and we can get them for longer at a cheaper price because we're starting early. So. Um, so yeah, as it's kind of like the whole, like fourth for five or six top picks were all like underclass who, you know, who came out early. Hmm. So I was like, I, look, I got a little nervous for a while, <laughs> but, <laughs> Kidding, um, right? yeah, but, um, it was like, you know, to be amongst all those guys to be in that same draft class, you know, you know, see Webb, Penny Hardaway, you know, Rodney Rogers, you know, J.R. Ryder, you know, uh, Alan Houston, you know, Ben Baker, Lindsey Hunter. Um, yeah, it's like, wow, like, you know, and a lot, lot of us knew each other from playing in college, some a little bit in high school. So, mm -hmm. like, for all, all us to be in this, you know, one room or one weekend together is, like, surreal, you know. Yeah. And, and what was the feeling when you got uh... – you know, moved over to Toronto, Toronto starting up their team, you know, one of the original. Yeah, I talk about it. It was a very, it was, you know, nobody knew kind of what was going on. It was like, okay, the NBA went to the expansion with the two teams, Vancouver and Toronto, and then every NBA team could only protect eight guys. So it was kind of like this talk between March and June of who's getting protected. And there was a lot of weird movement and trades and people didn't want to be protected. Some people wanted to be protected. Mm. Then it's like where you were, where people wanted to go. Nobody knew what was going to go on because of the, 
this getting paid in Canadian dollars, where we're going to get paid in Canadian dollars, where we're going to pay in U.S. dollars. Like, do we got to get a passport? Do we just like the unsureness and the unknown was very, I wouldn't say it was scary because everybody was kind of in the same boat. Like the guys who didn't get protected were like, Hey, like this is like your next chance to make it. So like a lot of us had a chip on our shoulder. We're like, okay, we got to show now this next team in the NBA we can play. Right. So everybody was willing to take that. A lot of guys were willing to take that risk. The guys who didn't were some of the older veterans who didn't want to, you know, go through that, you right. know, like BJ, you know, a friend of mine from Iowa, BJ Armstrong. I was excited to go there because he was going to go there. And then, you know, I heard all this, like he wasn't, he didn't want to go, you know, he was older in his career. He wanted to win championships. He got spoiled with the bulls, you know? So he was like, I'm not signing up for, you know, for expansion to lose, you know, 80, 60 games a year, you know. Right. That ain't no fun. And and so, like, we know now that Toronto's a pretty big and it's a great uh, basketball city, but how was it, like, right out of the But we did have fun, though. We did have fun. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Toronto is a, a good basketball city, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and we, and we made it that way. Um, the two major things was us, and I think the year or two before the world championship games were there. With the with the second or the third dream team with Shaq and oh yeah some of those yeah. guys Sean Kemp maybe Alonzo Mourning Gary Payton some of those guys were on there and that kind of brought you know not only the American but it also brought like Croatia and some of the other good players and and such such Toronto was so diverse like they were they were they were ready and willing to see that so yeah I mean. Yeah, Toronto is definitely a basketball city, you know, and and um, and it was very unique that we turned it from baseball and hockey to, you know, and it's still a hockey city for oh, sure. You it's know, a but, huge, yeah, I mean, it's a huge yeah. hockey city, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we, it is we, a basketball we, city for but sure. We definitely, we definitely carved out our niche. Yeah, and, and, and where were you when they won the whole thing in, in 19? Can you remember where you were? Um, yeah, I was in Iowa City. I mean, I still live in Iowa City area and do camps and training. And yeah, so I was excited. I mean, I was hoping they were going to do it. I mean, I was ex I was sad to see Demar go, but I was excited because I'm a Kawhi Leonard fan. You know, yeah, um, yeah. But the part the, that I was in here in Vancouver just absolutely erupted. It was pandemonium. People were freaking out. Like it was, it was pretty. Yeah, awesome. it was like it was like it was overdue, right? It was like yeah. it was like. You know, we paid our dues. The, the, the country and the city paid paid the dues for that to happen, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, are you are you uh, are you on another call here, pretty quick, or do I have you for a few? Or no, 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 no. You're good. Oh, we're good. Okay. Uh, so, of course, uh, AC, you've also coached the the game as well. Jumped into the ABA, right? Back in uh, 2005, managed. The yeah, I coached at multiple levels. Um, yeah, I coached at multiple levels when I was playing overseas. You know, as I got older, I used to kind of come home and see my buddies coaching. I had a lot of guys who I played with and against who start coaching. Right. And, you know, we would talk basketball because I would tell them how things went. And they'd be like, man, like, you understand basketball like a coach. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, man, like you can get into coaching. 
so that was my thing. Like I remember, um, I one night I was in Kosovo and our lights went out, and I didn't have my generators hooked up. They didn't hook it up yet, and I just sat in the cold and the dark. It goes out for like an hour or two because everybody comes home at the same time. The power grid was not up to par at the time. So I just sat in my living room for like an hour or two, just staring in the darkness. And I said, next day I'm going to the internet cafe and I'm working on my resume and I'm getting, I'm going to start emailing coaches and stuff. And I just started doing that, you know, leg work. Mm-hmm. And then the next year I tore my Achilles and you know, and I always said if I got a major injury, I would be done. Like, I'll, I'll fight back to come back, you know, for my health, but I'm not going to play anymore. So I tore my Achilles the next the next fall coming in season. Mm-hmm. And I started, like, emailing people. And I went to, like, um, you know, I went to the ABA first. And then I did some CBA, did some consulting for some other minor leagues, GBA, and then got with high school. And I, you know, I've done AAU. I did came back to high school and junior high. So I mean, uh, I just love coaching. I do. I do, I'm coaching high school now, ninth grade, B, and I seventh grade fall. So right. And and so like, did basketball change? Uh, I don't know how to word this, but like, did you change the way you approach the game uh, from a coach's perspective as opposed? Oh, hundred percent. I've changed probably four or five times over. So oh, I mean. Okay. I grew up in the era where, you know, games were 40 to 50 or 40 to 30. Um, and everybody played conventionally. You know what I mean? Conventionally is like you play with a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, a power forward, and a big guy. Yeah. There's been times when I don't play with a big guy. The big guy couldn't be a big guy. Um, sometimes you put the best five people on the floor. Um, and then when I was overseas, though, I understood how they started to play with the pace and space. Um, and so, like, even when I came home and my daughter was playing and we started coaching her, like, I, I, I taught her to shoot the three at, like, sixth grade. And people were like, why are you doing that? And I go, watch. Like, this is how it's going to be. Like, the three-point shot is going to be the game changer. And so, like, when I first started, you know, coaching youth, it's like that's all we did is we shot and we we handled the ball. And we got everybody to handle the ball and be ambidextrous. And we got everybody to learn how to shoot a three. And, um, you know, you, you would be amazed at how many players I, that I that were able to shoot the three that that got their, their career going and went to college because of that. And so even today, like, um, I'm I'm – I'm two and zero on my ninth grade B. The first game we scored eighty points. The second game we scored seventy nine points, and we're playing eight minute quarters, seven minute quarters. Hmm. So we're scoring twenty points, twenty points a quarter, roughly. Yeah, seven eight minute quarters. And and talk about like you know having the real deal for these kids as well, right? Like beyond the the coaching stuff, and like you do the regional. Yeah, I mean they don't see it as much. Like sometimes, like because you know the players, unless you're talking about MJ, which is also like nobody's seen MJ play. They hadn't seen him. All they see is the highlights. So you can talk about Kobe and stuff. So sometimes I have to give them examples of something that they can watch themselves, like Kevin Durant or LeBron 
or Dame Lillard or Giannis or Jokovic or or uh, Luka Donitz. I have to give them something that they can go watch. I can't. Like, for me to tell somebody, like, hey, Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points in one game. And they're like, okay. Like, that's not realistic to them sure. too much, right? Now, to me, it, it was because I saw Wilt, right? But nobody saw Wilt. So I have to be careful what I give them. You know, sometimes I have to give them things that I did. So one time they asked me, like, what was my career high? And I said, well, grade school in sixth grade, I scored 50 points with no three-point line. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And so, like, sometimes you have to give them something that's more realistic for them to take. You can't talk too much over them. You know, like, you, you can't mention, like, Bob Knight to them. They have no idea who Bob Knight is, right? They have no idea who um, maybe Coach K is or even Roy Williams or something. You know what I mean? So you got to go to, like, Bill Self or you got to go to Shaka Smart. Like, you got you to go to somebody they can look at and see and turn on the game one day and say, oh, wow, yeah, Coach, I saw Shaka Smart coach, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, what a trip. Uh, hey, tell us about the uh, 13 Rules single and, and the movement. Your publicist, um, Sasha, sent along the song. Sounds great. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so we were we were in Toronto for our OG reunion that the great Elaine Kwan, our PR lady from back in Toronto, organized. There, was, there had been some clamoring of put together something major for all the guys who played. Um, Cause every now and then they were doing stuff independently with like maybe Marcus Camby or maybe Damon Stoudemire, but everybody was like, where's everybody else at? So she put together this big reunion. A lot of us hadn't seen each other for 10, 15, 20 years. I hadn't been back to Toronto in 30 years. Mm. So we go there. Elaine has all these media interviews for us to do. And then she says, by the way, there's this guy doing a song. He needs you guys to come and do a chorus. So we're like, you know, we're dead tired. We've been staying up till 3, 4 in the morning, <laughs> like hanging out. Um, and we were like ready to go back and just chill for the day. And so I was like, okay. She was like, just 30 minutes tops. So we kind of got there. The music's going. There's a good vibe. We're all kind of joking around. We've been doing all these interviews all morning. So, you know, beat's okay. And then, like, they're putting it together. But there really isn't a main person taking charge of kind of what they want to do. So there's a lot of leeway. So, you know, we do it like this. Then we do it like this. We do it like we're supposed to just do the chorus. So I kind of just start ad-libbing some stuff and the guys kind of fed off me. And then they're like, yeah, like, yeah, that's cool. Do that. Do that again. Just do this. Like nobody told us like, hey, this is what they're trying to do. This is what the, you know, Dr. Nate Smith were trying. You know, there was no, um, uh, there was nothing that was kind of like a plan. I think, you know, I think they just kind of hodgepodge it together, see how it was going to go. It went better than what expected. And now we're here. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, cool. I'm happy to be a part of it. It's, it's a good, it's a hot song. It's got a lot of good elements. 
Um, yeah, definitely doesn't actually uh, spins it dovetails nice into the, you wrote a book, 135 of the most influential hip hop and rap songs of all time. And why? Yeah, I actually wrote 16 books. Actually. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wrote books, uh, but you yeah, recently well, released yeah. this book. Um, how hard was it to get to number one, like let alone top 10? No. So what this is different. So we, we, we did not rank them. Mm. So we did not rank the artists. Okay, so it's a little bit easier, but still hard though. Um, well, I mean, you could rattle off 10 or 15 in 15 seconds. Sure. Right. And that's what we did. Like me and my buddy Hans, my ex roommate who introduced me to hip hop, you know, New York gritty hip hop for a while, you know, I'm from the Midwest. So, a lot of that New York stuff, I wasn't into, especially when I went to Boston. When I went to Boston, I got into it more because New York, right? Sure. And then Toronto has, you know, influence in New York. So, like my 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 East Coast stay really got me into more hip hop. So, like, yeah, like I said, so when we did the book, it's it's not a ranking, nor the best song. It's the most influential uh, uh, hip hop and rap songs of all time so it's not just um females or males or groups or artists or genres or eras it's just everything hodgepodge so it's like i said we we wanted to kind of hit everybody who had an influence right not just like the popular stuff so we we, we got some names in here people would have not known i i actually have two overseas artists Oh, great. So there's going to have to be a little bit of Google searching. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all on YouTube music. So yeah, of course. That yeah, is, that's course. the beauty of it. Yeah. And, and was there ever a time where you thought like, oh man, I've bitten off more than I can chew to, to write this or? Well, no, because like whenever I did, I, I called Hans and we would have to sit down and we'd have to, I'd say, hey, I got these four people or four songs. Am I on point with this? And he'd be like, yay or nay. Um, and so, like, I got the first 7,500. And then I called some other people, too. Well, you know, uh, one person from the West Coast, another Midwest artist. Uh, actually, me and Jimmy King collaborated on a couple things as well. He's a big hip-hop guy. So it's like I had enough people in my camp to I can get enough feedback from yeah you know what i'm saying the yeah. issue is i had to make sure that my like the research part was right like why we chose that person and why that was true you see what i'm saying and some of that stuff i didn't know like yeah like a great example is um i don't know if you ever heard of atmosphere he's from minneapolis no um he, he had another guy who came out with them called Brother Ali, but I forgot what their group was called, but it was like eight or nine of them. And they were signed to Rockish Records, which is a popular New York record label. And so I, I knew Brother, I knew Atmosphere and Brother Ali should be on there, but I did not know their best songs. And, I, and, and Hans actually turned me on to them. So I had to go back to Hans like, okay, we had to pick atmosphere and brother ali what song and why oh, okay you know and so yeah so some of the other stuff was pretty simple like you know public enemy or 
Sure, the obvious ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's and pretty much now you can go a few different ways. Sure. You know, on So that. would you say but like yeah. the, the research then was the hardest stuff about writing that book then? On, so yeah, I would say yeah. from from seventy five from hundred to hundred and thirty five, yes. Yeah. The other part I know like the back of my hand. Like I grew up in that era, like you know what I mean? Like I wanted to be a rapper probably first. Like as as a basketball player, like you know, I grew up on the run DMC LL. Like, yeah. like in those days, you know, you came to school like rappers and singers. You didn't come to school. You know, nobody ever saw Kareem Abdul Jabbar walk into a gym like they do now, right? Or Kelsey Plum, or Candace Parker, or Brittany Griner, or Dame Lillard, or you know, people now the camera goes to them as they walk in, so you see what they wear. Like with the rap game and music game, you saw posters, you saw them at shows, like you saw them on award shows. Like everybody wanted Adidas shoes because Run DMC wore it. So that's what you wore to school. Like you didn't really wear Dr. J's top 10. You could, but that really wasn't the thing thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was like you, you learned to dress in the culture. Like, you know, Adidas suits. You had Adidas sweatsuits because that's what Run DMC wore, right? And that's what LL wore. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a different, it was a different culture, but that's who we, that's who we dressed and emulated, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, so having done all these books, like, is that something we can kind of just expect out of you, for, you know, down the road that there's going to be more writing? Yeah, it's kind of my thing. That's kind of my, um, I sit and watch, you know, sports on TV and I just peck away at my computer. Um, so this year I've written four books this year, um, which is a personal record for me. Wow. So I'm probably cranking out a book every month, every two or three months. I'm cranking out a book. Um, so I just finished, uh, a book me and my brother talked about doing is coach Earl's rules of basketball. And the reason why I did this is because we had so many kids were coaching at the youth level that don't know the rules. So I had ninth grade, like I said, I have ninth grade B and, you know, and we press a lot and we, and we, and I, you know, and the, so one of the kids asked me, well, coach Earl, how long can we press in the backcourt for, or how does this work? And I said, well, yeah, we want to press because then we can get a count. And they were like, count, what do you mean? And I said, well, account, you know, there's so many seconds that you could bring the ball up to the half court before it's a violation. Now, I had 16 kids. I asked all the 16 kids, how many seconds do we have before it's a turnover or violation? There was four or five answers, and all of them were wrong. In ninth grade. Hmm. Like, nobody knew that you only had 10 seconds to get the ball up at high school level. So this is one of the, this is the books that I wrote for kids, parents, wannabe coaches, family members. And also what we're seeing is, um, I think the ESL, English second language kids, also struggle with how we talk and how they talk the game, right? And the, and the words we use. So, like, a great example is, like, even when I was overseas, like, they would, t you know, they would say something in their language, but when it came to basketball, they would leave most of the words the same. 
because it words are different for us, us and them. So, for instance, if I tell, you know, we have a couple African kids that speak different languages. If I say, hey, float up high. Like when they when they equate word float in high, it doesn't mean go to the top of the court or I go to the top or go to the elbow or go to the baseline, go to the wing. Like, you know what I mean? Go to the arc, you know, get in the paint, stay out of the lane. Like those things don't mean it means the different things to them. So that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book and my basketball's main ingredients terminology book is the terminology, right? So when, when we're talking to the kids, the kids can understand what I'm saying. Because when I say get to the baseline, that doesn't mean anything to them. They're looking at base and then they're looking at line and they're not equating the two, right? Mm. Interesting, man. Good for you. That's, uh, that's impressive, the amount of writing you're doing. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of my thing. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, AC, I'm going to uh, respect your time here, man. I'll wrap it up with one yeah. uh, one final question. I think it might be the toughest. Maybe not. Can you nail it down to one career highlight? Uh, no. No. I have to give it to you in, um, in a group of four or five. So the first one is probably my 50-point my game in sixth grade. Um, our best player, our second best player, first best player, he went to skiing in sixth grade. And so he missed the game. We were undefeated. We hadn't lost in two years. So um, so I had to score 50 for us to win, right? Uh, I'd say in high school, um, leading my team my, to our best high school record of all time at the time, we were 24. Four and 24 and 4, 23 and 4 was the best record in Moline history at all time, my senior year. Uh, in college, I would say my sophomore year, we beat um, UCLA with uh, another former NBA. Uh, well, they had eight, we had five or six NBA guys, but my one of my best friends in uh, Toronto, ex Toronto Raptor, Tracy Murray was there so we beat them they were ranked like number two in the nation we beat them my sophomore year uh and then in the nba i would say you know the 40 point game against boston right um yeah and then overseas i would say um uh shoot i don't know i won three mvps and Three MVPs in eight years in three different countries. So yeah. I mean, I had to run. So I would say, you know, every 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 era, every time has its well, own deal. Yeah, my my first college two points was a alley oop dunk, and my first NBA two points was a alley oop dunk. <laughs> nice, dude. Yeah, oh, that's great. Hey, thank you again yeah. for uh, for taking some yeah. time. Yeah, I'm curious on the on the 135 rules book. What what artist would you uh, were you curious about or agreed or disagree with me on? Um, well, I think I would probably put. I would think that Run DMC's got to be at the top. Yeah, they're in there. Now, yeah. Now, what song would you pick from them? From Run. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Where where do you put uh, Beastie Boys? 
Yeah, I have them, but I have them with um. Oh, I think I put Paul Revere. Yeah, but you could have went. No sleep with Brook. No sleep till Brooklyn. Sure. And you could go a little bit of the. Um, I also I almost picked the one where they were in the the suits when they were fighting Godzilla. Oh, uh, intergalactic. Yeah, intergalactic. I almost picked that too. Great song. And of course, the uh, for those guys, uh, sabotage. Such a great video. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, they, a couple people, a couple groups could have a lot of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Could go like with Run DMC, you can go My Adidas, or you can go, um, the one with Steve. Was it uh, Stevie Nicks? It's like that. No, not it's like that. But uh, oh, uh, yeah, I know uh, about walk that. this way. Yeah, walk this way with, with uh, Aerosmith. Yeah, Aerosmith. Yeah, walk yeah. this way. You could go walk this way. I mean, sure. I mean, that song almost yeah, I mean, revived Aerosmith's career back in the day. Exactly. You know, at least that. Exactly. That video was huge, and man. it also almost went and almost. In, in it, you know, and it's it's so a lot of those groups were timeless where it's just they did three or four things, not just one, like with the My Adidas, you know, it brought an actual clothing company to the forefront, accepted by right, yeah, man. And then they got Adidas deal out of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude, they're, they're straight up like those are one of the most influential guys in all of not just rap but all of music. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's unique. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. good, man. Well, I appreciate the time. Right on. I appreciate your time. So uh, on Instagram, yeah. you are uh, at phenom underscore Iowa. Mm -hmm. Is there a website you want people to go to check out as well, or? Um, yeah, you know, my Venom website, my Venom Sports Training as a V, like a snake Venom. Yeah. Um, and that you can order books, sign copies. I send them to you. Oh, nice. Have merchandise there. Um, you know, camps and training packages. So it's kind of my all encompassing site. So yeah. Right on, dude. Okay. Well, cheers, man. Uh, it's nice to meet you. And uh, yeah. I guess we'll see okay. you online and I'll tag you when we're throwing this stuff around. Yeah. Sounds good. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Find us at Toddcast Podcast. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine coming January 2nd wherever podcasts are available.